This is the morning sermon from Hillcrest Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. Pastor Gary W. Custis is preaching and teaching through the Gospel of John. For more information on Hillcrest Bible Church, please visit our website at hillcrestbible.org. One of the reasons I want to look at this psalm is that um, when Robert Nelson was uh, uh, sick, I visited him one time and he said, My favorite psalm is Psalm 91. And uh, at that time, Bob wasn't uh, engaged in lengthy conversations, but uh, uh, this is a, a great psalm and a great encouragement. Uh, and um, I also wanted just to say a, a few things about uh, um, Bob's life. <clears throat> it was his uh, desire not to have a funeral service or a memorial service. And... Um, so this evening service is uh, neither one of those things, but it's just an opportunity to um, remember uh, Bob as the special friend that he, he was. Um, when Vern Isaac and I came to uh, Hillcrest Chapel in 1981, uh, Bob was there. Uh, Wilma and Kathy were there, and Edna McLean was also there, and uh, a number of others who are now with the Lord were there. Uh, but um, Bob was one of those ones, and he was uh, always um, faithful uh, in the ministry and um, always faithful in his relationship uh, in loving the Lord. And um, so I asked um, Joanne for a few details with reference to his life. Let me just tell you a little bit about, uh, about uh, him. He was born in 1940, February 7th. So he lived for 77 years, um, and he was a twin, and uh, it was Robert and Robert, Roberta. i got to say, I can't say Robert and Roberta together, but uh, he was Bob, she was Roberta. And um, in December 20th, 1969, um, he married uh, Joanne, and they both... Uh, I think at that time we were attending and were from uh, at Central Bible Church. My dad performed that uh, uh, marriage ceremony. Uh, Bob worked in uh, graphic design. Uh, he worked at a graphic arts center that is located um, on Northwest Wilson Street. It's, it's near the Fremont Bridge. And I believe he worked there, and uh, Joanne wasn't quite sure. She thought maybe 37, 38 years. Um, I remember a time when uh, his job changed and it went from uh, being more of a computerized job and he was kind of worried that he'd be able to keep up with the computer uh, changes that were being made in, in that business, but uh, he made it uh, through that uh, transition. Um, he had a number of interests. If you know Bob, you know that he was always interested in um, jogging and hiking and climbing. Uh, he climbed Mount Hood several times. I say climbed. Um, but I remember him telling me one time, I think he did this with his dog as well, but I think he ran up it just to see how fast he could do it. So um, so that's not exactly climbing. I think that's jogging and climbing at the same time. But uh, um, I know that he did that several times. He also climbed the Matterhorn in Switzerland, which is uh, taller than uh, significantly taller than Mount Hood. It's 14,000. 692 feet. Um, 
And uh, in these last years, he made several attempts to climb Mount St. Helens, and uh, he, tied, he tried twice but never reached the rim. He got tired and couldn't quite make it, but uh, he was always um, hiking in the gorge. Um, um, I could tell you a number of stories about jogging with uh, Bob and, um, and running in sometimes uh, very severe kind of uphill uh, conditions that he thought was not a big problem, but it was a big problem for me, but it was a big problem for him. But... Uh, uh, He's one of the ones that um, I had opportunity to spend time with out doing uh, some jogging. He also um, spent time walking the uh, Pacific Crest Trail. I wish I would have asked him how much of that trail he covered, but uh, I know he was really fond of the Yosemite National Park and that particular area, but he did... uh, I remember him walking on that uh, Pacific Crest Trail and taking time uh, to do different parts of that. Uh, So certainly he was active uh, in his life. He also, uh, one of his interests uh, was photography. And um, Jan was telling me she has uh, piles and piles of photos, and she's not quite sure what to do with all of them because not all of them are labeled. Um, but wherever he went, he was uh, engaged in, um, in taking pictures. Again, he was interested also in woodworking. He made chester drawers and flower boxes and picture frames for all the, some of the pictures that he took, and uh, very good with wood, um, built their back deck, um, on their home, very active with uh, with that as well. And if you knew uh, um, Bob, you knew that he loved dogs. And uh, the Samoya dog is uh, the dog that he liked. If you think of a big white dog with its lots of hair, you, you know, and a big fluffy dog that looks like they belong in the in the northernmost parts of uh, Siberia. Um, that's the dog that he liked. And he had four of them. It was Princess, which I don't remember, and then Tisha, Emily, and Hannah. Um, and those were his uh, special friends. And uh, that's his family, I guess, when you think of uh, Bob with, uh, with his dogs. But as I mentioned, he was a faithful member of uh, the church, uh, faithful in coming to church, faithful in attending all the years. Um, when he got sick, and the, um, he was not able to come, but... Uh, he was always uh, desiring to be here and be very supportive. And he died on June 8th of this year. And um, uh, he will be missed. His presence here at church will be missed. And I'm thankful that he is uh, with the Lord. And I'm thankful that um, when it came time and he knew that uh, he didn't want uh, to prolong his life with therapy, chemotherapy and different treatments, so he knew the end was, uh, was coming, but I, it's wonderful when you approach the end of your life and you have great hope in the Lord. Because though you're coming to the end of life, you're not coming to the end. You're coming to the end of the beginning. And uh, that, was, um, that was Bob's hope. And so I, I want us to go look at this, this um, Psalm 91. And... Uh, there's good reason for Bob to look at this as uh, being a very uh, special psalm. When you look at this psalm, I'm going to read not only Psalm 91, but I'm going to read Psalm 90. And there's some people, and I'm not sure because the Bible doesn't say, but if you look at Psalm 90, it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. If you look at the little print in the... Um, in, in this. 
in the Scripture, as I have read the prayer of Moses, the man of God, that is a part of the inspired text of Scripture. In the Hebrew Bible, that's verse 1. In the Hebrew Bible, the verse numbers are off from our English Bible because we wouldn't put a prayer of Moses, the man of God, as verse 1. We put, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations as verse 1. But the Hebrew Bible uh, puts that as a part of the inspired text. Uh, then our Bible sometimes will include a summary statement about the psalm. That is not a part of the inspired text. Uh, but those uh, little statements, prayer of Moses, the man of God. But he talks about, uh, in this passage, the dwelling place. And you'll also see that he speaks of, of the dwelling place in, in, in verse 91. So there's some people who think that uh, Psalm 90 and uh, Psalm 91 and even Psalm 92 were written by Moses. That may be... We'll never know until we get to heaven. You can ask him then. Uh, but they are companions. They are companion psalms. And in Psalm 90, it talks about the eternal nature of God and how man's life is short-lived. God is forever. Man returns to dust. And, and you see... Um, this statement about God and mankind. And then you come to to Psalm 91, and it's how blessed the man is who puts his faith in this God of eternity, in the eternal God. And uh, as Christians, that's what we do. As as Christians, that's what Bob did. He's placing his hope and trust uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ and in God. And then this passage is in Psalm 91, is, is filled with assurances and promises of, of the faithfulness of God. And I, w- I want you to see that. So let me read just as the context, uh, perhaps the context, but a, a related psalm. So let me read Psalm 90, and you'll see the comparison between God and man, and then the man who trusts in God. So Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like asleep. In the morning they grow. They are like the grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. We have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We have finished our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years, that their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days. We may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, 
that we may rejoice and be glad in our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us and the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So you see in this psalm, the eternal character of God and the sinful character of man and the shortness of his life and being under judgment, and yet there's this expression of hope in God and that the God would establish and God would return and God's uh, mercy and, and presence be upon his people. But Psalm 91 really launches out into that great truth of depending upon the Lord, of trusting in the Lord. And I'm going to read this in sections, but I want to uh, read the first four verses. And uh, I've entitled these four verses, In God We Trust. In God We Trust. And I want you to notice when I'm reading this, the names that are used with reference to God. And then I want you to know the places uh, that are mentioned in this psalm, and then the action that God engages in with reference to those who hope in Him. Again, let me read these first four verses, and then we'll pause. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. I hope when you're looking at this, you saw four names that are mentioned with reference to God. And when you see the names of God, you're seeing the character of God. So these names uh, describe the, the God in whom you are hoping. And the reason why God has many names is be- because there are many facets to his character. The first name that is used is Most High in verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. The word Most High is the word Elyon, the Hebrew word Elyon. It means the supreme being. If you're going to speak of the sovereign God, you would use this word. This is the God in which there is no greater God. There's no higher God. There's no higher being. You say, well, there is no other God, period. I say, no, there is no other God, but there is no other being that compares to Him. And in all of this universe, He is Elyon. He is Most High. And... uh, that speaks of the supremacy or, or the sovereignty of God. The second word that's used is also in verse 1, and that's the Almighty. And that's the word Shaddai. Shaddai. And here the word means most powerful. So the one who is most high is the one who possesses all the power. And he is mighty. In fact, all the power... All the energy in this universe is derived from God. 
And it's, uh, I always think it's so interesting when, when people talk about an atomic bomb and the explosion that takes place when these atoms are pulled apart and when there is the, the explosion of energy that takes place in holding atoms together and holding this, this uh, molecule, this, this, this energy together that holds things together. It's, all of that is derived from God. And uh, he holds all things together, but everything that has power derives that power from him. And he makes this universe. It is a powerful universe. It is filled with power and energy. And all of that is derived from God without there being any drain upon him. It's interesting when you think about that. There's nothing that God is, uh, cannot accomplish by his power. And when it, spe- it uses this word, uh, Shaddai, El Shaddai, God Most High, it's speaking of this one who has absolute power. So he is the highest being, he is the most power. Then in verse 2, the word that is used for him is the word Lord. That's the word Yahweh. Or the word that is uh, interpreted by some as Jehovah. But it's the word Yahweh. And Yahweh is where we, it's, it's the verb to be. Or we might speak of the great I am. And this speaks of, of God's forever existence. He's the God who is. And there is never a time when he was not is. There was never a time when he was not in existence. He is. He's the great I am. And he forever exists. And whenever you have a covenant promise, the covenant promises are made by the Lord. And in the translation, the English translation, it'll be all in capital letters. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And whenever you see it in all those capital letters, it is the great I am. And the reason why he's the one who makes the covenant promises is because he never forgets his promise. When he makes a promise, he is the God who is who makes the promise. So the promise is forever before him. When we make a promise, the promise becomes after we have made the promise, it's immediately passed. But for the God who is, his promise always is. So he's the covenant God. He's the covenant-keeping God, the great I Am. And then the fourth word that is used of him is God. You'll notice it says, the Most High, the Almighty, the Lord, but it says, my God. The word God is the word Elohim. It's a word that speaks of the one God, but the plurality of that one God. It's an interesting word. It speaks of deity. Of God, And it also speaks of the mightiness of God. When you open up your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, it is Elohim that you run into first in the Bible. And he speaks things into existence. So this is the God of creation. And the mighty God, the mighty power. So you look at these expressions and you say, when you're talking about God, the starting of this psalm is to, to really speak of the majesty of this God. There is no greater being. He is the supreme sovereign God who possesses all might and power, who always is, and he is in fact God. And so these are character descriptions. 
Because it's going to talk about now placing your hope and trust in Him. And if you're going to place your hope and trust in someone, my suggestion is place your hope and trust in Him. Because He is God. He is the sovereign God, the supreme God. He is mighty in power. He is the God who remembers every word that He gives, and He keeps His every word. He's a faithful God. So the psalmist is is talking about, now the one who then trusts in Him. You'll notice the places that are mentioned. He who dwells in the secret place, in in the shelter. The word there refers to some kind of a covering or a hiding place. It, it's, it's, it's protected by Him. Who is our protection? Well, the God with whom there is no greater. The God who possesses all might and power. The God who always is. The God who is the mighty God. But He's the one who provides this hiding place for us, this protection, this covering. Then he speaks of, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Shadow, again, speaks of the shade that is cast by an object or a shade that is cast by a person. And the picture is that the Lord is so close that you're walking in His shadow. And, again, it's, it's there He stands beside you. He goes on in verse 2 to say, my refuge. And this refuge is, a, again, a, a place of shelter, a place that you would go if you're in trouble and you need a hiding place, a shelter. And then the fortress is a, a fortified defensive structure. So if someone is coming after you, that you are in this fortress for protection. And a fortress usually was surrounded by walls, and when the the... the the arms were based upon gravity. The, the, the taller the structure, the, the, um, yeah, the greater defense that you have, because you can throw things down on people and dump hot water and hot oil and hot anything else you can find on anybody who's outside the gate trying to get in. And, and so your, your fortress needs to be a, a, a tall place. But here, the fortress and the refuge and the shadow and the shelter is this mighty God. And then there's some action that is given. And in verses 3 and 4, it gives this action. He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. So he's spoken of there as the one who delivers. He is the deliverer. So when you take refuge in him, you not only take refuge in him, but the promise is that he delivers you. And then he covers you. And here this is uh, the expression of, of a bird. And uh, the pinion or feather that is described here, the, if, if this is helpful, these are the, the, the strong feathers, the, the big feathers on, the, on a bird that are made really for, for flight. But he's, it, it, the idea of, of this is, is sort of a... It's, it's a tender picture because when you think of being covered um, for protection, it's, you don't really think of being covered by feathers. And uh, it, 
we would rather be covered by the, the, the fortress and the stronghold those are the, and the refuge. Those are, those are better. But, but here it's just the, the picture of this, this God with whom there is no greater. This El Elyon, Elyon, who is El Shaddai, the, the, the God, the, this, this mighty God. He's like the, a mother bird that shelters the little chicks beneath it. And um, one of the things that's uh, interesting uh, to me is, and it's sort of a, not stated here in the text, but uh, sometimes I jog around our house and there's a place where we jog through uh, Summer Lake and uh, there are geese that are there. Mostly the geese will, uh, since I run with the family dog, uh, he's very interested in the geese, and uh, he likes to talk to the geese sometimes. And uh, for the most part, when they see him, they, they run away. Except when there's the little ones. And when they're little ones, and uh, my dog starts to show interest, it's very interesting because the, the geese, especially the mother, will come forth, and they stick their tongue out, they have really a funny look about them, and they make themselves very big. And if he keeps coming towards them, they will flap their wings and actually hit him. But they're not about to leave. They're not about to depart. Why not? Well, because God has put in them this instinct to protect the young. And they don't do this when, if... If they don't have the young with them or if they're just all by themselves and I come running along and with a dog and they'll see him coming and they just jump into the water or they fly away. Not so when the little ones are there. And, and what, what God has put in geese and what God has put in the ducks and what God has put in birds is, is a character trait of, of, of this willingly sacrificing yourself for the young. And that's why it's used here in this, this picture. This is, this is really the, the Lord who tenderly covers you. And it says he covers you and under his wings you find refuge. And his faithfulness is like a shield and a, a bulwark. And the shield is a large shield that is talked about. Now you're talking about something that's very special, the, as something that would be a, a strong defense, a, a strong shield that you could hide behind. Furthermore, it's a bulwark, which means it deflects the, the blows that are thrown at it. So the, this passage is, is saying, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of mighty. I will say, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and I trust. He delivers. And He cares for us. And, you know, as I I looked at this, and especially at the reference to the shadow, there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New when you talk about this God. Psalm 91 is a terrific psalm when it talks about the nature of God, the person of God, and His loving care for you. But I want you to know, when you come to the New Testament, it's even better. Because we don't abide under the shadow of the Almighty. John 14 and verse 17, Jesus Christ was talking, and we're talking about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, and He said, He abides with you, 
and he will be in you. In the Old Testament, when the people wanted to worship God, they went to the tabernacle or they went to the temple. And there was the presence of the king, the presence of the Lord God. And they would worship and they would worship him there. And he was in the midst of his people. And when God spoke and he said, you as a nation have failed and I'm going to establish a better covenant. I'm going to regather you under the terms of a new covenant. And under the terms of this new covenant, I'm not going to be just in the midst of the people. I'm going to be in your life. I'm going to be in your heart. I'm going to be in you. I'm so thankful when I read this psalm and I see, and it says, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I say, I not only abide under the shadow of the Almighty, but the Almighty takes up His dwelling place in me. That's a superior covenant. That's a superior relationship. And when you look at Psalm 91, it's hard, you know, you look at this and say, it's hard to improve upon this. But really, when you come to the new covenant, it's a great improvement upon this because I don't walk under the shadow of the Almighty. I walk with the Almighty in me and with me. It takes this and sort of lifts this up to an even higher level. Because certainly the promises of His care and the promises of this, this Lord God, He's the same Lord God. But He so dwells with His people now that He's in our hearts and He's in our lives. That's a great statement. You look in this passage and uh, there are certain expectations that you should have. And that's the second part of this psalm in verses 5 through 10. Let me read this. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near to you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Now this is really the expectation of those who have this God as the one who cares for them. And it says in here there's no fear and there's no danger and there's no evil. And it's stated in, in very uh, concrete terms. And uh, you look at this and you say, it's, it's, you're not going to be afraid in battle. You're not going to be afraid of pestilence. Uh, you're not going to be afraid in the midst of battle. These, these things will not come near you. All you will see is the destruction of the wicked. We look at that and we say, that's, that's, those are amazing promises. Remember, in the Old Covenant, God said, if you will be faithful to me, if, if you will trust in me, I will take care of you. I'll fight your battles. I'll heal your diseases. Whatever is required for your care, I will provide for you. And that Old Covenant relationship is a, is a very strong statement of God's faithfulness to his people. And he says, whatever you need, I will provide the thing that you have to do as a people, and it needs to be the whole of the nation of Israel, but you need to be faithful to me. And if you are faithful to me, I'll provide for your every need. That's an amazing promise, but that's what you have in this passage. 
And the psalmist is recognizing, this is the God that we have. This is the God and what He does for us. And you have certain expectations when you place your hope and trust in Him. No fear, no danger, and no evil. And then he emphasizes the protection. Because he talks about two ways in which God really protects. One is through the ministry of angels. And the second is that the Lord speaks for himself. And when you read the Psalms, always be careful to observe when the psalmist is speaking and when the Lord himself, it's as if he interrupts and speaks directly. Because when you look at verses 14, 15, and 16, God is speaking. It's so important for this God who is the supreme God, El Yon, who is the mighty God, El Shaddai, who is the God who exists forever, Yahweh, who is the God himself, the mighty God of creation. It's as if this care and protection is so important, it's like he says, okay, stop everything, because now I'm going to specifically give you promises. My promises from my lips, it's as if the Lord is saying. First he speaks of the angels. Look at verses 11 through 13. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. He shall give his angels charge over you. If you remember in uh, the temptation in uh, look very quickly at Matthew chapter 4 when Satan um, tempted the Lord he loves to quote scripture and he loves to take uh, scripture and uh, use it for his own purposes which is uh, uh, an improper use of scripture but Satan clearly used scripture here but if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 4 verses 5 through 7 in this temptation It says, Then the devil took him up into a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, If you are the Son of God, now he's talking to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. This is what God promised. This is what Almighty God, the Sovereign God, promised. He shall give his angels charge concerning you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So he says, cast yourself down from the temple. Because the Lord has made a promise. And if you are God, this is God making a promise to God. And God making a promise, God the Father making a promise to God the Son, and, and how He cares, and how the angels are given charge. So if you throw yourself down, the angels will bear you up. And Jesus Christ responds in verse 7, he says, It is written, again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So he calls out Satan for saying, that's not what Scripture is written for, so that we can throw ourselves off a cliff or throw ourselves off a precipice or some uh, place and say, you know, God said he'll carry me, bear me up. 
We're not to test the Lord. And we're not to put him to the test. So Satan used this passage, which is indeed a promise of the Lord's angelic care, that he posts the angels for our care. Hebrews speaks of guardian angel that, that, is, that is granted to individuals in keeping them. But I don't doubt the significance of angels. One of the things I think that we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven and when our eyes are open to see spiritual truths is to see the, the, the spiritual function of both angels and demons in this world. I think we'll be shocked. I think we'd be shocked if we could see the angels and the demons that are in this building right now. I think that would be a shocking thing to us. But God gives his care. And one of the ways he gives his care is through angelic beings. But it gets better than that. Because as I said in verses 14, notice he stops and he gives seven I will statements. Because he has set his love upon me, me is capitalized because now it's just this is so important to the Lord. That he doesn't want to be talked about, he wants to speak now. So he makes the promise. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. I will honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Because he has set his love upon me, there are seven things the Lord says he will do. He will deliver, set him securely on high, and when he calls upon me, he says, I will answer. I'll be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him. I will satisfy him with long life and let him behold my salvation. This is God speaking directly. You look at this psalm and you say, well, no wonder Bob loved this song. We should all love this song. This is a great song. This is describing the God who is and using his names to set forth his character talking about what kind of provision he makes for his people. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are kept by him. It's amazing when you think about that. It's as if the Lord puts his arms around you and he keeps you all the way into his glorious presence. You say, well, Bob got sick and Bob died. I say, indeed, Bob got sick and indeed he died and so did Moses and so did all of the believers in the Old Testament and, and the Christians and believers in the New Testament, they have all died or the ones who are living are dying. We're all dying. It's what God has seen fit for us to experience in this Christian life. But what this passage says is that when we are going through life, it is as if the Lord puts his hands and his arms around us and he carries us. And it's a tender caring. It's like a, a mother duck, so to speak, a mother goose who shelters her young. But this is not a mother goose. This is the sovereign God. And he, he tenderly cares for us. He holds us in his hands. And you may think sometimes, well, God seems so far away and God seems so distant. And, and when I pray, does he hear me? And will he answer me? should come to the psalm and say, this is, God, this is what you said. This is what you've promised. 
And we should take the Lord and take His promises and take Him at His word. Lord, you said you will deliver me. Lord, you said you will set me on high. You, you will answer me. You will, you will be with me in trouble. You will deliver me and honor me. You will, you will satisfy me with long life and show me your salvation. And the Lord says, I will. I will. Hold me to it, but I will. And when we get to heaven, there's never going to be an instance where this psalm has ever failed for any of God's saints. You say, well, some of God's saints were persecuted, and some, you mentioned, you mentioned Latimer and Ridley. I mentioned him this, this, them this morning. And they died a horrible death. The Lord is, is bringing them to glory. He holds them in His hand. And when you get to heaven, you're going to hear Ridley and Latimer telling of the faithfulness of God through death, the faithfulness of God in His care. And they were never in danger. What the world was trying to do was snuff out the witnesses. What the world tried to do was snuff out Jesus Christ. And the world will always persecute God's people. But this picture says, let me say, tell you that you can understand that the Lord's loving care is upon you. The God with whom there is no greater being. The God with whom there is no one who even compares with His might and His majesty. The God who always is, this God, the three in one, this, this, the plurality, this God, this mighty God, He's the one who makes all these promises for us. He's the one who makes all these promises for Bob. So when I look at Bob and I say, well, there's Bob and there goes Bob in death. I say, where does he go? I say, he goes where he always lived. And that is in the care and the hands of the sovereign God who loves him and cares for him, and brings him into glory, and brings him into his glorious presence. Was Bob ever in danger? No. And you look at people as they get older and as they get weak, and sometimes as they die, and, and it's, it's pitiful when you watch and all these things, and you can look and say, well, where's God? And the answer is, he's right there. He's right there. He's promised to deliver. He's promised to be faithful. He's promised never to fail, and He never fails. And one of the testimonies we shall give in heaven is the faithfulness of God from the beginning to the, to the entrance into glory of, of our lives. Because that's what's promised here in this psalm. And God loves when we read these psalms, and we read His Word, and we claim His promises. And we say, God, this is what you said. In fact, in this passage, it's so important to, for us to know how much you care for us that you had to, to, to make seven promises of what you would do. Seven ways in which you deliver, set us on high, answer, be with us in trouble, be with us in trouble, rescue us, honor us, satisfy us with long life, satisfy us, that we may see your salvation. This is a glorious provision of of God. And when we see the death of loved ones, and when we see the death of of friends, it's so wonderful to know the care that never fails. You place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, you place your hope in one who never, ever fails. Never fails. So it's good to read the Word of God. It's It's good to claim the promises of God. It's good to say, God, you promised here 
This is what you said that you would do. This is how you said you would provide for me. And I know that this is what you're doing for me. And I know you never fail. Our hope and trust is in the Lord. Always remember Psalm 91. It will encourage your heart to see the God who cares for you. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. We're thankful that there is no greater being than you. There is no more powerful being than you. No being that even compares to you. We're thankful that you always exist. You live in the, in the present tense. You're always the great I am. We're thankful that you are the triune God, mighty God. And we're thankful for the many ways that you care for us. Thank you for the way you care for Bob, carrying him through life, carrying him through death, carrying him through to see your salvation. We're thankful that you never failed him. You never forsook him. You're always faithful. And we're thankful that we can read this psalm, Father, and we can look at you and know your tender, loving, gentle care that never fails. The great is your faithfulness. So we thank you for your loving care for Bob. We thank you for your loving care for us. And we're thankful for the way in which you are the sovereign God who is all-powerful in all the ways in which you continually care for us day by day. So thank you for your provision. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you never fail. May our hope and trust, Father, be in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the morning sermon at Hillcrest Bible Church. In addition to our website, hillcrestbible.org, you can also follow us on Facebook under Hillcrest Bible Church or through Twitter under Hillcrest Bible or subscribe to the sermon podcast on our sermons page or in iTunes.